As far as I was concerned then and as far as I'm concerned now, he was the greatest dad who ever lived. He died at the age of 75. Too young. Too soon. There was stuff I still needed to tell him. There were things he still needed to teach me. But here comes the really personal part now. I'm going to put his picture on the screen in a moment. My dad was cremated. The picture you're going to see is at the memorial service when with my mother and my brother and my sister, we wept. We surrounded the picture by flowers. That's the reason. Let me put it on the screen for you now. And as that picture goes up, I need, you to, I, I need to ask you a question. You tell me. Is my dad in heaven? Is my dad in hell? Is my dad in purgatory right now? Nearly every Christian church that I know teaches that he right now is in one of those three places. So where is my dad right now? Once upon a long ago time, Jesus told us the answer. And for the life of me, I can't figure out why we never got it. Let's pray. Oh God, we got to get it. We must know the truth. So listening to Jesus, teach us, we pray, in His name. Amen. Open your Bible with me, please, to that great story, the Gospel of St. John. Pull out your Bible. If you didn't bring a Bible, grab the pew Bible right in front of you, because this is one story you have got to track. Open your Bible to John chapter 11. I want to read an old story with you. How come we never saw this before? Why don't we get it? John chapter 11. The Pew Bible, if that's what you grabbed, it's page 723 in your Pew Bible. Let's take just a moment. Reflect together. Great, great, great story. All right, John chapter 11. I'm in the New King James Version. That would be the version of... uh, Your pew Bible, it'll be what's on the screen. Let's go. John 11, verse 1. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany. That's the town of Mary and her sister Martha. Here's a little parenthetical insertion. Verse 2. It was that Mary, by the way, who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore, verse 3, the sisters sent to Jesus, saying, Lord, behold... He whom you love is sick. Verse 5, look at that. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister, that would be Mary, and Lazarus. I need to hit the pause button right here. And I wish you would lock those words in your heart right now. The one you love, Jesus, is sick. You know why you need to lock onto that? Because the people Jesus loves, the ones Jesus loves, do get sick. And they do die. I need you to remember that. 
Should the day come in that tiny little medical examining room when the doctor walks, walks back in with his grave look on his face and he announces to you, you have cancer. Listen, it doesn't matter the name of the disease or its severity. You're sick. What to, what, what's to remember in that one line that the sister sent to Jesus is not the sick part, though. Forget the sick part. Remember the love part. The one you love is sick. Which means that if you're sick right now, you may be dying right now. You need to know that you are just as loved by Jesus as was Lazarus. Verse 6. So when Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. And the disciples are flabbergasted. I mean, our dear Lord and Master, God bless him. He is a strange fellow, isn't he? I mean, here, here is his very dear friend Lazarus, deathly sick, and Jesus hangs around for another two days. What's up with that? How hard it is for us mortals to learn the lesson that the ways of God are not the ways of man or of woman. How often you and I are utterly convinced we know the best course of action for God to take for our nation, for our families, our friends, ourselves. But to our great chagrin and sorrow, He doesn't take that action and we cry out, why, 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 what's going on? And so we weep our salty tears into those soggy midnight pillows. I need to lay a word of comfort on your heart right now. It's from the, the classic on the life of Jesus, the desire of ages. Put it on the screen for you. Isn't this something? Read it there. God never leads His children otherwise than they would choose to be led if they could see the end from the beginning and discern the glory of the purpose they are fulfilling. Isn't that something? Here's another word. Lift your heart. Look at this. Same book. To all who are reaching out to feel the guiding hand of God. Get this. The moment of greatest, greatest discouragement is the time when divine help is nearest. They will look back with thankfulness upon the darkest part of their way. And so, so it was, ladies and gentlemen, the two long days dragged by. And then after the two days are over, Jesus turns to his 12 friends and he says, Hey guys, what do you say we go to Bethany? Please. Verse 11. These things he said. And after that he said to his disciples, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. And his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get well. I mean, you can hear the wise disciples clucking and sighing all over again. He just doesn't get it. If you're sick, you got to sleep. And by the way, these are not med school graduates either. They did not know that just this last week out of Chicago, a new study was released that discovered that if you want to lick the virus of the common cold, get this, hang on to it, you've got to sleep eight hours or more. Anything under eight, and you're three times as likely to get infected with that cold, which means the whole university is sick. <laughs> Nobody around here sleeps eight hours, I know. Yours truly included. They didn't know the studies. They just know that you, if you're sick, you've got to sleep to get better. Lazarus is sick, Jesus. Please, come on, let the man rest. Ah, pick it up, verse 13. However, Jesus spoke of his death 
But they thought that he was speaking about taking a rest and sleep. And so then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus, listen to me guys, Lazarus is dead. Apparently. For the incarnated creator and savior of the world, death is asleep. That point is so critical, I wish you'd grab your study guide right now and scribble it down before we forget it. Go into that worship bulletin, blow, blow all the outdoor off of it, and let's go. If you didn't get a study guide, oh, you've got to get this one. Hold your hand up. They're going to be coming right by you. Our friendly ushers, hold your hand up. I want to make sure that everybody here gets a study guide in the overflow room as well. And while they're doing that, we are so glad to have those of you who are joining us on television right now. You can get the same study guide. Let me take you to our website, www.pmchurch.com. TV. You see it there on your screen. You're looking for the little mini-series. It's only three parts long. This is part two. Title of the series, The Truth About Death. Last week was the fork-tongued beast. Today is the unmade bed. And don't you miss the final piece next week, the midnight blitz. All right, but you're looking for the unmade bed. And it says study guide there. Click on the study guide. You'll find it and you'll join us. All right, while it's still fresh in our minds, write it down. Number one, right there at the top of the study guide, for the creator and savior of this world, death is asleep, right in all those words. Death is asleep. I realize that there aren't a whole lot of people around these days that have discovered the truth that Jesus has just plainly declared to his followers. How we missed it, I don't know. Well, actually, I do know, and I'm going to share that story with you in just a moment. But clearly, would you jot this down? Jesus taught that when you die, you don't go to heaven. You don't go to hell. You go to sleep. Keep writing. These are his words. Lazarus is asleep. He is dead. Now, come on, Pastor. Didn't Jesus tell a story once upon a time about a poor man who goes to heaven and a rich man who goes down to hell? Well, you're right. Absolutely right. We need to take a look at that. So, put a little marker there in John 11, because we're coming back to John 11. Uh, Just go back one gospel, to the gospel of Luke. Just go back to Luke. We'll take a look at this story. Fascinating story. Luke chapter 16. This would be what page? This would be page 705 in your pew Bible. Luke chapter 16. You've got a red letter Bible. This is all red, because Jesus is telling this story. Luke 16. Verse 19. All right. It's a great story. Luke 16, 19. Here we go. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was, verse 20, a certain beggar named Lazarus. Not the same Lazarus, all right? Same name. Named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came ooh, and licked his sores. So it was, Jesus telling the story says, verse 22, that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torments in Hades or hell... He lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And then he cried out, verse 24, and said, Hey, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in the water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. Hey, 
Well, it seems pretty clear to me. One of them went to heaven, the other one went to hell at death. Well, if the point of Jesus' parable is to present the literal truths of heaven and hell and death, then, ladies and gentlemen, we have some very major dilemmas that we're going to have to deal with. Jot them down. Dilemma number one, heaven is Abraham's bosom. Now, look, he may have a soft bosom, but I sure hope heaven is more than lying on that fleshy pillow. (laughs) Do you think anybody believes heaven is Abraham's bosom? All right, number two, write it down. Heaven and hell, if if he's telling the truth, heaven and hell are within shouting distance. Hey, yo, it's hot down here. Anybody got water up there? Does anybody believe that? Nope. Nobody in the universe believes that. And number three, relief in hell is a single, I just need one drop, just one drop. A single drop of water, please. Does anybody believe that was Jesus' point? Of course not. This is a parable. A story crafted to drive home a single point. You don't make a parable ever walk on all fours. What's the point? What's the point? Ah, write it down. Jesus' parable of the rich man and Lazarus is not the truth about death, but rather the truth about life. Our response to opportunity and privilege here will determine our destiny there. That's the point. In fact, Abraham makes the point in Jesus' parable. Look at verse 25. But Abraham said to the rich man, verse 25, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted and you are tormented. You got what you lived for. That's the point. Hey, well then listen. Listen, will you, will you send Lazarus to my living brothers? I don't want them ending up down here in this stuff. And Abraham responds, the punchline, verse 31, But Abraham said to the rich man, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. I.e., if you don't believe the written word, you'll never believe the truth about death. You have to go by the book. What is written is the truth. (laughs) Lazarus is asleep. He is dead. Yes, but I come on, Dwight. Didn't Jesus promise the thief on the cross that the two of them, that good Friday afternoon, at the end of the day, the two of them would be in paradise together? Well, that's an interesting one. Yeah, let's take a look at that. Good for you. Since we're in Luke, let's just uh, go over to Luke 23. This is the crucifixion chapter in the Gospel of Luke. Let's check it out. Luke 23. That would be, drop down to verse uh, 39. Verse 39, then one of the criminals. These are are the two thieves who were hanged on either, crucified on either side of Jesus. Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed Jesus saying, Ha! If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other thief, answering, rebuked him saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And indeed... We justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then the thief, verse 42, said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. I told you, there it is. They both went to paradise that day. Ooh. Not so quick. 
Not so fast, my friend. And what are we going to do? What are we going to do with what Jesus said to Mary on Resurrection Sunday morning? We're going to have to deal with this. Let's go to John 20. Let's just take a look. What did Jesus say? You remember Mary is sobbing in the garden because the tomb is empty. She doesn't know where, where, where they've taken the body of Jesus. You remember that? She's sobbing in the garden. There's nobody there. And then Jesus comes up behind her. Oh, I love this moment. This is John 20, uh, verse 15, page 731. Jesus comes up behind her and he said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And she, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Oh, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary, and just like that, I tell you what, when you hear Jesus call your name one day, you will recognize that voice, and it will be the way your name should be called. And when he said, Mary, she whirls around, and she turned to him and she said, Rabboni, which is to say, teacher. And Jesus said, whoa, verse 17, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, and to my God and your God. Would you jot that down, please? Get it in your study guide. Jesus just tells Mary Sunday morning, I have not yet ascended to my Father, who, by the way, lives in paradise. Paradise is the home of God. I haven't been there yet. Which means that either Jesus is lying to the thief or he is lying to Mary. To which one is he lying? Hmm? To which one is he lying? Well, that's an untenable position to put you and me who love and adore and worship Jesus. There has to be some sort of discrepancy here to figure this one out. And there is. Let me give you a little lesson from history. Jot it down. When Luke wrote his gospel, there were no commas or word divisions. In fact, the comma wasn't introduced, scribble this in your margin, until 1490. The original Greek manuscripts had neither punctuation nor word divisions. They were just one long line of letters. So that if we could recreate an English sentence to look like Luke's Greek, it would look like this. We'll put it on the screen. That's it. Now you're going to have to sit there and look at that for a while. Figure out, are there word divisions here? Should there be any punctuation here? That's the way, it was, that's the way Luke wrote. Now... Once they introduce the comma, you can understand translators would have to decide where are we going to put the comma. Now, here's one way. We'll put it on the screen. Assuredly, I say to you, comma, today you will be with me in paradise. You could do it another way. Assuredly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. How? You see, the placement of a single comma makes all the difference in the world. In fact, let's put another sentence up. Woman, without her... Man is a beast. Or woman without her man is a beast. <laughs> Come on, girls. Where do we put that comma? Because <laughs> it's either telling the truth about you or about your man. The placement of a comma makes all the difference in the world. Do you get the point? Of course you do. Where do we put the comma? Well, where are we going to put it in this sentence? We, what we have to do is we have to take Jesus' word for it. Jesus said, I have not yet ascended to my Father. Jesus said, Lazarus is asleep. He's dead. Do you know what that means? That means that Jesus and the thief and Lazarus didn't go to heaven. They didn't. They went to sleep. In fact, would you jot this down, please? Based on Jesus' statements in John 11, 11 and John 20, 17, the comma in Luke 23, 43 must come after, after 
today. So how would it read? Put it on the screen. Assuredly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. Well, hey, Pastor, then, then how, did the, how did the King James translators get so fouled up that they put the comma in the wrong place and every translation following has copied the King James? Oh, now the story. Enter now, by the way, the crowning work of my friend Samuel Bakioki, who died the Sabbath before Christmas. I hold it right here in my hands. The last conversation I had with Sam just a few days before he died. Sam was, by the way... Uh, a church history professor and theologian here at Andrews University. He's a writer. I told Sam I was working on this uh, series, The Truth About Death, and he had given me the book this summer. I said, Sam, I'm going to be quoting from that book. Because I tell you what, this book, Popular Beliefs, Are They Biblical? His chapters on death contain the most scholarly examination of the subject I have ever read. So how do we get into this mess? Let me quote a few lines from Sam's book. He tells a story about Socrates. You remember who Socrates was? Where was Socrates from? From Greece. All right. So he tells a story about the philosopher Socrates who went down to Egypt to study the Egyptian teaching of the immortality, pagan teaching, the immortality of the soul. He went back to Athens. And you remember the story of Socrates. Eventually he was executed. Had to drink the, the cup of hemlock. You remember that? Why? Because he was poisoning the Athen youth, the young men, leading them to reject gods and turn toward atheism. Plato, his dear disciple, wrote up what Socrates taught. Plato describes the last conversation Socrates ever has alive. And he spends the day before drinking the hemlock discussing the the nature of the human being, the soul and death and immortality. Now, I'm going to let Sam pick it up right there. You have it in your study guide. He's describing that dialogue. In the dialogue, on the day of his execution, Socrates repeatedly declares death to be, now these are words from Plato's quoting of Socrates, death is the separation of the soul from the body in which it is encased. Socrates goes on, the soul whose inseparable attribute is life will never admit to life's opposite death. Thus the soul is shown to be immortal and since immortal, indestructible. Socrates concluded death is merely the separation of soul and body. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is where it all came from. The pagan philosopher Socrates and Plato introduced the concept of immortal soul into Hellenistic philosophy. And then the concept was introduced into Hellenistic Judaism through the, pardon me, through the philosopher Philo-Judaeus and later injected into Christianity through Tertullian, Origen, Augustine, Thomas Aquinas. But not once is the concept of immortal soul taught in the Holy Scriptures of the Jews or the New Testament of Christianity. Not once. In fact, you remember from last week, the fork-tongued beast. And by the way, if you didn't get last week's, you need that piece to set this one up. You can download the podcast and get it. You remember last week, we noted that the words soul and spirit are used over 1,700 times in the Bible and not a single instance is the adjective immortal attached to either word. In fact, it comes as a surprise to some people that that teaching gets traced all the way back to the garden and the fork-tongued serpent who said, hey, you're not going to die. When you die, you will not really die. You just go on. 
But what really surprises people is when they discover that the Bible actually carefully teaches that the soul can die. Hold on. Jot this down, will you? Jot this down. Nefesh. You see that in the study guide? Nefesh, which is Hebrew for soul, appears 754 times in the Old Testament and is rendered in 45 different ways. But not a single instance is it ever declared immortal. The Bible teaches that the soul dies. Keep your pen moving. Let's take a look at some of these. There's a whole string of these. Ezekiel 18.20. The soul, nefesh, who sins shall die. It doesn't go on. It dies. The soul dies. Here's another one. Numbers 23.10. This is a prayer. Let me. Now, the English says let me. The Hebrew reads let my soul, let my soul die the death of the righteous and let my end be like his. Here's another one. Numbers 35, verse 30. Whoever kills a person. Now, in the English, it's person, but the Hebrew, it's nefesh. Whoever kills a soul shall be put to death. Leading Samuel Bakioki to conclude, jot it down. The fate of the soul is linked to the fate of the body. The destruction of the body is seen as the destruction of the soul. Ladies and gentlemen, apparently, Jesus knew what he was talking about when he taught that death is asleep. In fact, as the pre-incarnate, as the pre-incarnate Christ, that's what he taught from Genesis all the way through to Malachi. Let me run some text by you. Lazarus is asleep, he said. Lazarus is asleep. Hmm. Can you show that in the Old Testament? Some scholars believe that the book Job is the oldest of the Old Testament books. Older. Predates Genesis. Same author as Genesis. But in Job 7, 21, jot this down. For now I shall sleep where? I shall sleep where? In my bed? What does it say? I'll sleep in the dust. For now I shall sleep in the dust, and thou shalt seek me in the morning, but I shall not be. By the way, take a look at those verses in parentheses sometime later. That's the stoning of Stephen, Acts 7, 60. He is being stoned to death, and then it says in the New Testament, and he fell asleep. I'm telling you, it's that way all the way through. Here's another one, just like Jesus taught it. Here's another one, Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 16. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, you are about to sleep with your fathers. 2 Peter 3, 4 says they slept with their fathers. Death is asleep. All go to sleep. All who die go to sleep. Jesus taught that. The Bible teaches it. Here's another one. Ecclesiastes 9, verse 5. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know how much? Say it out loud to me. The dead know how much? Zero. Nada. Nothing. The dead know nothing. Talking about death is asleep. I mean, has it happened to you? Has this, come on, be honest. Has it ever happened to you? You come home so weary and spent that when you crawl into bed before your head even hits the pillow. You ever have those times? Now, we have this in English. I don't know what it is in Portuguese. I don't know what it is in Chinese. We say it in English. You are dead to the world. Do you have that, do you have that in your language? You are dead to the world. What's that mean? Gone. The next thing you hear is that beep, beep, beep. <laughs> Kill it. The alarm clock going off. No concept of the passage of time. Nothing. I was dead to the world. The dead know not nada. Nothing. Zero. They're asleep, that's why. Because you see, the Bible truth about death is that when you die, you don't go to heaven. You don't go to hell. You go to sleep. You go to sleep. That's what Jesus taught. By the way, that's what Peter taught. Oh, take a look at this. This is Pentecost. This is the mighty Pentecost sermon. Look at this. Uh, Acts 2, 29 and 34. If yours says 24, cross it out and put 34. It's supposed to say 34. 
Acts 2, 29 and 34. This is Peter preaching. And he says, hey, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried and his tomb is with us today. For David did not ascend. Whoa! He did not ascend into the heavens. End quote. Could it be clearer than that? When you die, you don't go to heaven. You don't go to hell. You go to sleep. You didn't go to heaven. We have the authority of Scripture. Mm. Even the great King David sleeps in the grave. Over and over, the Bible truth is repeated. Death is a sleep. But you know what? Come on. Just just put that down for a minute. Think, Think with me. This has to be the most philosophically satisfying and reassuring truth about death that there possibly can be. If I were a God of love, I would do it this way. I mean, you think about it. Just think. What kind of a God would take people to heaven after death and then let them observe the wretched heartache of their surviving families back on earth enduring since their death? Do you think heaven would be heaven to a mother who watches her family go through hell after she dies? It'd be no heaven at all. The truth about death that Jesus teaches, that the Bible teaches, is the only truth that is utterly faithful to God's relentless love for all His earth children. Good and bad, doesn't matter. This is what happens. You go to sleep. It'll be just like that. Just like that. You say, but wait a minute, Dwight. You know what you're doing? You are taking my mother out of heaven and you're putting her back in a hole in the ground. That's what you're doing. No, 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 my friend. That's not what the Bible's doing. Do you know what the Bible is doing? The Bible is taking your mother and putting her in the arms of Jesus. Asleep. You don't remember this very well. But your happiest days were when you were embraced in the arms of your mother. You were at peace. You were secure. Nothing mattered. Her arms were around you. That is the truth about death. You don't go to heaven. You don't go to hell. You go to sleep. You know nothing. You just go to sleep. I know what you're saying. You're saying, oh, come on, Dwight, please. I mean, what does it matter? You go to heaven, you die, you go to sleep, you're going to get there. It's going to seem like an incident either way. You are right, my friend, but I'll tell you why it matters. Don't you dare miss part three in this little three-parter. The midnight blitz. Guess what? That serpent in the garden, we have yet to hear the last from him. This is the crucial piece that tells you why God is so urgent that you get the truth about death. Don't miss next week. Don't miss it. But anyway, you know what? The good news about death is not that it's asleep. Write this down. The good news about death is that it is a sleep from which God will awaken us. Write that down. Put it on the screen, please. It is a sleep from which God will awaken us. I love this text. Daniel 2, Daniel 12, verse 2, rather. Just fill it in. And many of, this is when Christ returns. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. 
some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. One more text before we wrap the story. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 15 to 18. This is one of the, this is one of the pinnacles of hope in the, in the whole Scriptures. Jot it down. For this we say to you, the mighty Apostle Paul, by the word of the Lord we're telling you this, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. Where would you get this word, Paul? He just told us. I got it from the Lord. What did the Lord teach? Lazarus is asleep. He's dead. Death is asleep. Well, Dwight, what do we wake up? Ah, here it comes. For the Lord Himself. When Christ returns, the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. No wonder Paul puts the punchline, therefore comfort one another with these words. End quote. Samuel Bakayoke is absolutely right. Listen, listen, listen. The hope of the Christian is not the immortality of the soul. It is the resurrection of the body. Soul is an immortal. Never was taught once. It's the resurrection. That's our hope. And so it was four days too late. That Jesus and His twelve come striding into Bethany. And the word slips to the house of grief. Martha hears. Go back. Let's finish this story. Martha hears that Jesus is in town. A little late. A little late. But He's here at least. Martha, Martha hears. Verse 20. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming to the edge of the village there, she went and met Him. But Mary was still sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, Oh Lord, if You had been here, my brother would not have died. How many people, how many funerals have I conducted for a baby, a tiny little casket for a baby? A casket for a 60-year-old about this big. A casket for a teenager about this big. A casket for a young adult. A casket for an adult. A casket for a senior citizen. How many funerals have I been where the words have tacitly been wept out? Oh God, if only you had been here. My husband would not have died. My child would not have died. My mother would not have died. She's only saying what every human heart cries out at the moment of parting. Oh God, where were you when we needed you? Oh, Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, she goes on in verse 22, even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. And Jesus said to Martha, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, oh, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And then come these immortal words, and they are immortal now. Verse 25, and Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Martha, look at me. Look at me. I, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Do you think that the insanity and obscenity of death makes God happy? Well, serves Him right. Can you imagine that? Do you know what happens to the heart of God when death stalks another of His children? Look at verse 35, the shortest verse in all the Bible. Two words. Write them down. Jesus wept. That's what happens. God weeps. I was visiting just a few days ago with a young husband who lost his wife just 
Just like that. Gone. Leaving two little children. I'm in his home late at night. And his heart, two years later, two years later, is still broken in a thousand shards. Jesus weeps for those who weep. Some of you are still weeping right now. You can't get over the death that has stolen your hope and your dream and your love. Jesus weeps. He weeps. Verse 38. William Blake. Let me, let, me, let me share this with you, by the way. The great poet William Blake went to literature at a university. Look at this. William Blake, <clears throat> William Blake put it this way. Till our grief is fled and gone, He doth sit by us and moan. You bet God weeps with you. It was never to have been this way. Never, never, never. But he's making the best of what he can until he writes, Finish! To this story of rebellion. Verse 38. And Jesus again groaning in himself came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Move it. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, came running up to him and said, Lord, by this time there is a stench. Please, he's been dead four days. You can't take the stone away. Jesus looked at her. Didn't I tell you? Didn't I tell you that if you believed, God's glory would be shown? Take the stone away. And then he lifts up his eyes to heaven. Where is this? In verse 41. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and he said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me, but because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. And now when he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice. In the Greek, it's megalephone, from whence comes our word megaphone. Lazarus, come out! Just like that. He yells at the tomb. Mesmerized. The crowd frozen, stares at that gaping hole. As suddenly stepping into the shaft of sunlight that falls on the floor of the tomb, there is a mummy wrapped. And exiting. Verse 44, And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes and his face was wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, Loose him and let him go. O death, loose her. O grave, let him go. For I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live. She who believes in me, even though she dies, yet shall she live. You see, ladies and gentlemen, it's true. If you have Jesus, this is it. If you have Jesus, you will have all you will ever need to wake up one day from the sleep of death. You just need Jesus. That's it. That's it. Brennan Manning in his wonderful book, Lion and Lamb, 
It tells the touching story of an old man dying. When the priest came to visit him, he noticed an empty chair at the bedside of the dying man, and he said, Oh, he just had, some, he just had a visitor, huh? Oh, no. The old man said, No. You see, Pastor, I, I, uh, some years ago, I was having a hard time praying at all. And a friend of mine, I was sharing this with my, my friend, and he said to me, You know what you need to do? You need to imagine that Jesus is right there. Why don't you put a chair in the room whenever you pray and pretend that you're talking to Him right there. And, and so the old man told his pastor, I've been praying like that ever since and I've never had a problem again. Some days later, the daughter of the old man came to inform the pastor at the parsonage that her father had just died. And she said, you know, because he seemed so content, I left him alone for a few hours. And when I came back, he was dead. But she said, you know, there was something strange. Because when I came back, his head was not on the bed. His head was on the chair. I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, yet shall he live. She who lives and believes will never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Ever since we sang it last week, I've been singing it, just singing that. Stanza over and over again. Oh, when I come to die. Oh, when I come to die. Oh, when I come to die. How's it go? Give me Jesus. Just give me Jesus. I want to sing it with you. I just want to sing no organ, no nothing. Just stand with me, will you? Let's just sing that. Oh, when I come to die. Oh, when I come to die. Oh, when I come to die, oh, when I come to die, oh, when I come to die, give me Jesus, give me we pray for, Father. Just give us Jesus. He is our resurrection. He is our life. Give us Jesus. When we come to die, just give us Jesus. And now may the God who gave us Jesus in the beginning and the Christ who came to shatter the bonds of the tomb And the Holy Spirit who will keep us singing, give me Jesus, be with you and me in the uncharted journey before us. Amen.